Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm April Fallon. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. We are in 2024, and we are so happy about the new year. So many great things have happened. We moved the show back to Denver. We are still coming out to Arizona to record, though, and so we're back here now. I know some of you heard last week's show, and it was incredible. If you have friends struggling with rad children, children in foster care, you have to send them that episode because... Janelle came on the show and just had so much love and understanding for the whole situation, not only for the parents, but also as an advocate for the children to get the help they need. And today we are going to be talking more about her story. So if you missed last week, go back and listen to it and share it, share it with the people that need to hear it. Janelle, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. I want to start this show off just by talking about how you personally helped me. And I think about you all the time. We recorded a show back in May that never was released. And so here we are re-recording and now we're doing a part two. But I wanted to take the time just to say in that first recording, I had just started homeschooling my youngest, Malia, in kindergarten. It wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. I wouldn't consider myself like, super great teacher with small children. I mean, I like small children, but day in and day out, it's it's hard. It's really hard. And I was just talking about how her experience in school was so challenging for her. And I was kind of worried that this was going to be how it was going to, like I was going to have to homeschool forever. And you said to me, sometimes it's just that the teacher and the child don't have a connection And it's, you know, sometimes it just works out like that. And I never really thought about that. I'm like, what? Everybody loves Malia. What? That can't be. But maybe the style is not working out for them. Or maybe they just don't have that, you know, favorite connection. And I really took that to heart and kept praying that maybe that was the case. We had her in a hybrid school and that was like really challenging as well. And so this year when we started school, I went to the teacher and I said, this is what Malia needs. She needs structure, but she needs to know you love her. And if she cannot see that you love her, she's probably not going to listen to anything. And you might think she's really defiant, but she's looking for a relationship with you and boundaries, right? So I have Malia here with me. Malia, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so happy you're here. How old are you? Six. What grade are you in? First. You're in first grade. And what's your teacher's name? Miss Jimenez. And tell me about being in first grade. Like, it's fun. My friends like me. When my friends don't like to play with me outside, I just get lonely. You get lonely? And is your teacher helping you make new friends? Yes. Do you love your teacher? Yes. Are you learning so much? Yes. Tell everybody about how you got an award. For being a good bear at school and... What award did you get? A 
bear. The bear, but you got brave, right? Because you were being brave. And in front of the whole school, you got an award for being such a great student. Good job. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome. Love you. Okay, so what a great testimony, right? She's so cute. When I got the call that she was getting an award, I was crying. And I thought of you. And I'm like, you know, that bit of information just helped me be able to communicate to the teacher properly to recognize that maybe this was just a crazy year Mm -hmm. (laughs) and to have hope that we could get to a better place. And I love the show because of that is because there's one nugget that somebody will say to you and you're like, that's what I needed. You know, and I think we have to keep in mind that our teachers are human. Mm -hmm. And so they don't like every child, Mm -hmm. period. Um, And I see that, you know, as a, at a preschool level, you know, how many children have you met that you're not fond of? I like all kids. What do you mean? Mm, Okay. (laughs) Well, you're a better person than I am. (laughs) It's true. It's absolutely true. And you think about even when you were in school, remember that teacher that didn't like you? Oh, there were so many because I was a horrible child. Right. Same. (laughs) Same. (laughs) I was very defiant. Yes. And if I saw loopholes or if I saw weakness, I can't believe I'm I'm telling everybody this. People are going to be like, what? But it's true. If there wasn't a system, boundaries, and the teacher did not have confidence, oh, I was there to challenge her. I was out in the hallway all the time. Mm -hmm. I was suspended. I was in detention. I was not a great kid. I don't think I would have wanted me in the class. (laughs) You know, I wasn't defiant outwardly, but like my household was traumatic. So I acted like a trauma kid. And I remember having this one teacher, she couldn't stand me. And she would like, my mom liked her because she's like, oh, she's really strict. That woman wasn't strict. She was evil Mm -hmm. and she didn't like me. And that's one of the places where I get that because I remember not being liked by my teachers. Maybe I was a difficult kid, but if somebody would have took the time to get to know me at that age, it could have made dif- the difference. And later in my life, I did have those very impactful teachers. But as a young child, I didn't. And so that's why I always kind of take that stance where I'll look and go, mm, maybe that teacher don't like that kid. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they don't like the parent and they're <laughs> taking it out on the kid. What? You know? What? Could that be? <laughs> It's true. It is true. And you know, what I love about you is I feel like what comes out of you the very most besides being an advocate is communication. And if you are on the adoption journey right now, you have to be good at communication. If you're not good at communication, take some classes, get some therapy, because this road of adoption and foster care is all about good communication. You got to have conversations that you don't want to have. You have to have conversations that are not at the right time. You've got to have conversations that you don't even know what you're supposed to be asking, but you know you need to be in there talking about it. And we talked about that on last episode is just having communication with your children. If you're somebody that's more introverted, learn how to sit your child down and talk to them. And maybe the child is introverted, but we've got to find creative ways to get our children to talk to us and to let us into their world so that we know how to help them. I want to introduce you because we just did this big uh, intro and, (laughs) and I need to reintroduce you. 
So Janelle M. Jones, she has seven children, two through adoption. She's passionate about early education. She operates multiple early learning centers. Uh, She has a master's in curriculum and an emphasis in working with autism. Her child that she adopted has autism. But the one that we have spent more time talking about is a child that has been diagnosed with so many different things and definitely rad. And this journey has taken you into a world that you could never even imagine. And last episode, we talked about how she was very defiant. She kind of turned your house upside down. Um, Your children suffered. Everybody kind of was in secondary trauma. And we left the show where she was going into mental institution at like 10. And they weren't helping her. Let's just pick up there. No, um, her journey of mental, and she basically went mental institution to, well, psychiatric hospital to psychiatric hospital, then residential treatment center to residential treatment center. Um, She was getting kicked out of them. She got arrested out of one of them. Um, It was a mess. We would literally get calls and we got to get to Reno because she's in jail. I describe all this in the book. And At one point, we brought her back to Phoenix, and one of the hospitals lied and said that she was mentally stable. But I talk about it in the book. How could she be mentally stable when she beat up two nurses and hurt a kid? And I wasn't going to bring that home. And she ended up in the custody of DCS, our great child protective services in the state of Arizona. And they tried to say that I was neglectful. Um, But I had tons of support from the community rallied around me. And when we went before the hearing, um, I discussed in the book, they were like, oh, you're a model parent, but your child is dangerous and you can't bring her home. So we're going to take custody of her, Uh, temporary custody, but she's still your child, but we're keeping temporary custody of her. And I, at the time, was fighting. And I was like, how dare you take her? I've spent thousands of hours taking care of her. Like, how dare you? And don't you take her if you can't care for her in the manner in which I care for her. And long story short, we are where we're at now. And they have done nothing but hurt her. Let's talk about even the name, the title. Do you feel that adoption has caused your life to be shattered? Yes, my life and my children's lives and my daughter's life, all of us, my husband, everybody in my family, it has shattered our family and our lives. Yes. I just want to ask you what you thought of adoption and foster care before you got into it. You know, I had already adopted. And so I didn't think that it could be like this. I never went into the system thinking it would be easy. I'm not a person that really has ever experienced easy in her life, but I didn't think it would be this. So I didn't have the conception of I'm going to, it would have been nice if I could have got the little child and put cute little bows in her hair and put her on pretty pink dresses and we lived happily ever after. But I never thought that. I thought that I would adopt this child and give her discipline and love and we would get her into a good school and she was going to go to college. I mean, she was eight. So like almost done. Right. Mm -hmm. I could, she's going to be no diapers. Yeah. She's Mm going to be in high school soon. You know, we're going to get through this and it won't take that long. 
and she's going to decide that she wants to be an engineer or a doctor and and we're going to get her through that. And then, boom, we're going to have a successful child, maybe put her on the chair line or let her play basketball and we're going to live happily ever after. But I did expect work. But this, yeah, this is this is this is a bit much. Mm-hmm. Okay, so after DCF takes custody mm-hmm. and you're livid angry. Oh, I'm hot. But now they are paying for everything. Was that sort of a relief? No, because they really don't pay for nothing. So I was getting adoption subsidy. I think it was like maybe a thousand dollars a month, maybe third. No, I think it was like eight or nine hundred dollars a month. I was getting adoption subsidy. Well, they took her and I'm still paying. I'm still buying her clothes. I'm still because they'll give her clothing allowances and other things. But most of the time, whatever group home or wherever she's at, they steal her money. And I end up having to buy it anyway. Or she needs a hair, hair, her hair done. And then I'm dropping $200 for some braids in her hair to get it done in a timely manner. So I'm just spending more money and I don't have the little $800 I give, let alone um, now she's got a juvenile dependency attorney. And they gave me a court appointed one that was basically working for the state on my behalf. So I ended up having to get a new one that I think I pay them like $1,500 a month. Like the bills are ridiculous. The things that I spend now that she's in the custody of DCS, it's horrendous. How old is she now? She turned 17 last month. Oh my goodness. Okay. So pick up from they take over and they put her where? So when they took over, she was at this hospital that had early discharged her. And after that, I describe in the book, she ran away. They didn't notify me. Um, actually, when they discharged her, she, um, the hospital discharged her without her medication. And then she ran away and they never notified me. The first notification was my daughter calling me at some random girl's house. And I get to her and I call DCS and um, it was just a just a mess. Did she want to come home with you? Mm-hmm. She okay. absolutely wants to come home. Okay. Uh, always has. Um, and she's the type of child who... She loves me very much and she doesn't want me to worry. So the first chance she got to get to a phone, she was like, mommy, I'm safe. And I'm like, where are you? Like, you're at DCS because nobody had called and told me she had spent the night in the park with crackheads and prostitutes. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm like, so I'm calling DCS thinking maybe she had just ran away, not knowing how long she'd been gone. Not knowing, knowing they had broken the law by not notifying me in a timely manner. I think they probably would have took her away for doing that, but they did it to me. Right, right. Yeah. So I, I get confused sometimes because you're like, she loves me. She wants to come home. So people listening are going to be like, if your child loves you, can't you bring her home? Do you think that if it was just you and her and you didn't have all children and a husband that she, you could live together? You know, um, there was a time earlier um, last year where they felt that she need, she could come home, but we knew that it was, we knew she wasn't stable enough. And I really considered it because I knew that we were the better option, but it would have been the risk for everybody else. The problem with her is she can be good 
for short periods of time. Mm -hmm. Like she's even been able to spend a week or two at the house. But the moment you have to put a boundary in place, the moment you have to say, no, you're going to do your homework or you can't play in the street of the freeway so you don't get run over with cars, she loses it. And that's the problem is she loses it and, and you she can't gets violent. Care. She'll get violent mm-hmm. and she'll black out and she's not going to know what she did. At this point, what diagnosis does she have now? Recently, they actually put a diagnosis of bipolar on her, the hospital where she's currently at. Rad. Um, she has hallucinations. She has... I, for a while, was pushing for um, right before schizophrenia I, because um, her her biological mother um, has some diagnosis similar to that in her background, I found out later. She definitely hears voices. Um, so it's more of what she is not diagnosed with than what she is. It's everything. It's ADHD. It's from the little all the way to the to the extreme. So is she on medication, you said? She's on nine medications right now. And that doesn't stop her? No. She will still be violent? Yes. It will make her sleepy sometimes. And sometimes it'll work for a little while. But then there comes a point where her body kind of will adapt to it. And I don't think she knows what to do. I don't think she has the coping skills or she knows how to fight it well enough. She'll try to fight it, but then she'll say, the voices take over and I wake up later. Okay, I have a question for you because a lot of our listeners um, are Christians and you know different levels of like belief systems. But I just have to ask this question. Do you feel like some of it is is spiritual? Absolutely. So what do you do then? You know, that that's the balance. So if I go, <laughs> if I go into the psychiatrist's office and say, this is a demon, this is a demon. <laughs> right. I think there's like nine of them in there. And I'm thinking we need to have a deliverance <laughs> service. They're going to be hauling me out in a right. straitjacket. Right. But come on. Right. I've met some of these and I'm like, yeah, that's demonic. It feels so so sad because it's just like it can't be treated in some children. And that just breaks my heart. It's like you you have all of these solutions and you've tried everything. You've sent her to what you thought was the best place, right? With professionals and that didn't work. And mm-hmm. you've tried medication and you've tried therapy and you've loved her and you've, you know, given her a home and you, all the things. And yet she still blacks out and you said like even her eyes glaze over. And I've seen this before. Mm-hmm. I have seen this before in rad children. It's like this other person flips. And I've heard other families say, it's like, it it's evil. It's just dark. It's just like the brain is not functioning correctly at that moment and they lose control. And I just have to go to God and be like, what is the answer here? You know, I think they call it dissociation a lot of times. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, that's dark. Mm -hmm. And I see it happen. And I've even had several professionals say, she's dissociating or, ooh, that's evil. I've I've had them say that 
there was an evil presence there. I also had one that's actually a family member. He's a doctor. And he said, you know why that medication, he said, you know, medication doesn't work on demons, right? Mm. Ew, right? <laughs> and go figure. Mm-hmm. Praying about it is really, really important. I can mm-hmm. feel people right now are like, what are they talking about? <laughs> like this is trauma and this is medical. And I get that too. But if you are walking out your faith, there is an element where you're praying and asking God for the answers. And there is a demonic presence. There is an enemy that we are fighting. And so you do have to take that into consideration, praying that you meet the right people, right? That can help you if that's the case. Um, And we don't want to get too far into that because then we'll get into like theology and that's a whole another podcast. But I do think that really keeping that piece open and thinking about it and praying on it even going to your pastors or even finding pastors that know a lot about deliverance and um, about the demonic forces that attack and want to attack all children, right? This is a topic that I'm really passionate about because these children are so vulnerable. Yeah. And I feel like that brings in the enemy so much stronger. And we're going to talk about trafficking because I am so, so passionate about this I believe that adoption, foster care, and trafficking can go hand in hand, and we're seeing it more and more, and it's just an attack on the vulnerable, and it's disgusting, and it's sad, and it's heartbreaking, and you're right in the midst of that right now. So she goes on to go to a group home. Let's start from there. Yeah, so there's there's a lot. There's a lot we're missing, but we're we're f- forwarding ahead and you can read the book and catch up if you want. Yeah, if you want to say, you know, some of those yeah. things that take you to that place. Yeah, so she she ended up and getting discharged um from a residential treatment center and then now she's in fast forward through three group homes and some of this isn't in the book. When she got out of her residential treatment center, she was in a wonderful group home. It was amazing. Um, She was there for almost a year. She was doing so well and so good. They were starting to reduce the medication because we found out that all the medication she's on, like the amount she's on now, it's really harmful to her body. And so she was in a point where she was getting therapy and she was working, but she wasn't well enough to come home. She was getting there, Mm -hmm. Um, but she was still having some violent outbursts. And I just wasn't convinced that it was going to be sustainable in our busy home and with boundaries and having to go to school and all the changes that we're going to make. And so I really wanted them to keep her where she was at. And they decided to move her to a lower level of care. They actually ended up putting her in this horrendous group home in Arizona. It was in it was in Mesa, Arizona. It's actually the one that two children died in. Um, and it didn't get shut down because I don't think they shut down group homes because they should have shut this one down. And it was horrible. And at that group home, she completely backslid. And a lot of it was because of, it was supposed to be a therapeutic, I mean, a trauma-based group home. They completely lied. It was not. 
And at one point, I remember her psychologist begging them to take her to the hospital and they gave her melatonin and put her to bed. And eventually she flipped out and she lost it. Do you have any say at this point where she goes? No. And, you know, probably the thing that was so difficult about that situation was we, I was going with my attorneys. I think I spent $6,000 that month putting emergency orders in, trying to force the judge to do stuff. But the judge, it, it was just a mess. It was just a complete nightmare. And by the time they got around to it, because the the thing that you have to understand about these children in DCS custody, the judge is kind of their parent. So everything you have to get on Mm -hmm. the docket to have a legal proceeding to get anything done. Like we need her to go to the psychiatric hospital the way that the psychologist is suggesting. Let's have a court meeting, but it may take weeks to get on the docket, Mm -hmm. right? So by the time one day she just lost it and she started beating the crap out of the workers and they called me, they're like, um, so we're rushing her to the hospital. Can you meet us there? So fast forward to, um, she had completely destabilized. Then like um, two group homes later, we end up in this group home. Um, She had some hospitalizations and things. So there's a lot of things I'm not saying, but it wasn't, there was no roses in any of this. Um, But she ends up at this decent group home in Mesa. It appears to be decent. Um, My husband lives near Mesa and all the stuff I've said in a legislature meeting. So I feel free to be able to talk about it because I've, I've discussed it in a public forum in front of our, our representatives. It's like on the docket in December in a special um, hearing, but we were, I get a call. Um, I was actually going on, on tour for my book in Memphis And I get a call and they said that she had been missing for 48 hours. And I'm like, what? And they were like, yeah, she ran away on Saturday. The law states she will notify parents within 24 hours. Um, And it's a new law that just passed in June. Um, Not only had she been missing, they hadn't notified the National Missing and Exploited Children website. No media packets. Nothing had been done. Why? Because this is what they do. They don't abide by the law for our missing children. Do you think it's because they felt she ran away instead of gotten like kidnapped? I think there is a different urgency. Maybe, but would they have even known if it was kidnapped? They don't have advocates and people don't care what happens to them. This is a group. These are children that nobody pays attention to. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, On our DCS website in Arizona, what I found out very recently um, was we have a missing children's number. So let's say it's 40 children are missing this month. Well, let's say next month it's 20. Chances are three were found, but what happened to the other 17 was they had an 18th birthday and they just take Mm -hmm. them off the list at Mm -hmm. 18. It's just so heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, so she, she runs away or you do think she runs away? I was told, so I, I'm told by the, her caseworker who I actually have a good relationship with. I think when I wrote about her in Shattered, I didn't like her, but I actually have come (laughs) 
very fond of her now. And, um, because I believe Did that. Did she read that book? Was she like, I don't hey, know, but I don't, I don't. Oh, you wrote about me. I, <laughs> you know, I'm kind of a straight shooter. So I'm like, you know, it is what it is. I didn't like you at first. And she knew I had every right to, but mm-hmm. she's kind of proven herself a little bit. Um, and I think she's learned a lot. I think when we got her, she was a newbie out of college and, you know, my child has broken her in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So, um, but she's fond of her. And I think she's also fond because she knows we advocate for her. And I think there's been so many things in our family where they've looked, a lot of people have looked at it and been like, this is really unfair to you guys. Like you guys are a really good family and this is wrong. Mm -hmm. And by Tuesday, I started to kind of lose it. I started to come unraveled because she would have called me the last time she came up missing. She called me Mm -hmm. right. As soon as she got to a phone, why hasn't she called me? So I was with my team and my publicist starts doing missing persons posters. We start doing a social media campaign, the whole nine and everybody's sharing it. It's going crazy. And okay. I have to ask you a question Mm -hmm. really quick because I know that this is hard for people to understand that you don't have custody of your child, Mm -hmm. that your child has caused so much chaos in your family. And I think a lot of people would say, oh, once, you know, DCF takes over, like you're free. Like you can go back to your family and you could, they, this is their issue now. What kept you from doing that and continuing to be this advocate? Well, technically they have temporary custody. So I know, I know a lot of people will, and I see it even at my centers where DCS takes her child and it's like party for six months. We've, I've, I promised her I would always be a part of her life, but my goal has always been that she would get well enough to come home. Okay. So Tuesday comes around, you're like, she has not called. She's now been missing for four days. Mm -hmm. And so what happens next? So I do the campaign. I'm, I've got the traction going. Um, I'm communicating with ASA now. Wednesday comes and I start maybe hallucinating because I ha- start having visions of her dead. So I'm losing it. I'm unraveling. Wednesday night, they find her alive. Um, I get a call from my husband and um, she's in Quartzsite, Arizona, 144 miles away from Mesa. And the Quartzsite police call and said, we got him. She talked to my husband and I'm like, okay, cool. Like she's going to be going um, to the hospital because the law states when they're found, she hasn't been on her medication for five days. She'll go to the hospital and be checked out and Well, that wasn't the case because Thursday morning I get a call from the DCS caseworker. She's in jail. And I'm like, what? How's my child in jail? And she's like, well, we took her back to the group home. What? You didn't take her to the hospital? Like, it's only been like eight hours. Like, she should really probably still be at the hospital. They're like, no, we took her. We picked her up from courtside and we took her back to the group home. And at the group home, they started flipping out. So the group home took them to mine 24-7, um, you know, Arizona's drive through CVS Pharmacy for Mental Health. They started flipping out at mine 24-7 and they had them arrested. And I'm like, but they're a mental 
facility. Like they couldn't just shoot them up with, you know, um, that drug that you put in their bottom and drops them because they should have that. It's a mental facility. Nope. They call the police. So I'm kind of completely unraveled. I'm losing it on the phone with the DCS caseworker. And I remember telling her, how do we know that the group home didn't sell her off into sex trafficking? Right. How do we know that she wasn't harmed? How do we know? And she's like, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure I laid into her something fierce. And I, and, um, because we did have a case last year in 23, where one of the group homes was selling the children into sex trafficking right? All these kids were kind of missing and it was the group home that was doing it. And I get off the phone with her and I call the group home and I'm nice. Somehow I managed to be nice. And I'm like, can we please, please, please take her to the hospital? Like, I just feel in my gut, something's wrong. And she's like, okay. So she calls me back and my daughter, Mercy's like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go mom. And I was like, well, if you go, daddy, will meet you there. So she agrees to go to the hospital. As soon as she gets to the hospital, my husband meets her there. And her first words was, daddy, daddy, I've been raped and drugged. This was recent, right? This was September. So my husband, not knowing what to do, he calls me and I'm like, I start recording the conversation. And after I get what she had to say to me, I said, okay, call for the rape kit. So long story short, after one forensic interview, the, um, the nurse comes in and she says, she's got like choke marks and bruises all over her where they held her down and raped her. If they had looked at her at all, they would have seen that this baby had been raped. So how did she get there? She ran away with a girl and the girl told her what? They told him that she was going, they were going to go visit her mom in Quartzsite, Arizona. And where did she take them? I believe it was to her pimp. It was to my, my daughter said it was her friend. I think it was her pimp because I found out since that this little girl, um, the Quartzsite police told me that she's has a huge history of sex trafficking and that's why she was removed from her home. And so where is Mercy now? She is now in a level one psychiatric facility in Arizona. And how is she doing? Horrible because the place that she's at, um, they say she's a too acute. So they haven't, they have her on a boys unit and her only therapy is group because I guess she needs another forensic interview, but because she's in a mental institution, they can't give her one. I don't understand why the police won't go do it there. Um, and then we, she's been ordered to go to like another residential treatment center, but because she's so out of control there, nobody else will pick her up. Has she seen you? She's seen me once. Um, I'm hoping I can go up there on Sundays. So now what does her future look like? I don't know. It doesn't look bright to me because now we're, she's 17, she'll be 18. And we've went all the way backwards. And what does your husband say about all this? I remember my husband said, because he had to deal with her with the whole rape and going through the rape kit. And he called me and he said, you know, you talk about this all the time. You wrote a whole book about it, which I've read, but I never thought it could be this bad. What? He lived. He lived in it. 
I think because I did the majority of the work, mm. he kind of was able to maybe say, oh, she's just being dramatic again or, oh, she's just. But I think th- being in it has given him a whole different perspective. And I will say that's part of the way I'm making it right now is there are times I check out and now he kind of will pick up the ball and carry it so far. Mm-hmm. But I think the problem is we love her and we know oh, that that's not the problem. Yeah, but <laughs> but we know that if we step away, yeah. If she has no one. She has no this, one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's like and it and then not only her, but if we know we have a girl that is leading children possibly to courtside to get raped, we just gonna put her with ten other girls, right. ten other victims. Right. I can't say that was the the journey I wanted it to take, but I just have to think that it's going to somehow work together for the good. And maybe there's another child that can be saved if we can get this story out and we can talk about it and we can say, this is not right. Mm-hmm. We have to make these homes safe for these kids. And if they do run away, the laws have to be followed because technically she ran away, but she ended up being transported into something that she didn't agree to. Mm -hmm. And she ended up being harmed Mm -hmm. and nobody wants to talk about it. And everybody broke all the laws surrounding it. Perhaps if they had got the words, the police and the missing persons reports came out, there would have been an Amber alert. There would have been a silver alert because of her medication. Maybe she wouldn't have made it 144 miles away. How do three teenage girls make it 144 miles away. Right. Right. So there's some definite issues that we have with our system that's causing harm and putting all these children that are susceptible in danger. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that is good to encourage people to do is pray for those that are in the trenches of foster care and adoption. And maybe you're listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, and, and your husband is also listening to it. And he's like, see, this is why we should not get certified. And you have to listen to these stories. And yet at the end of them, if you're still called to it, you will still do it. Mm-hmm. I believe it hundred percent, but you will do it now with some wisdom. You will do it yes. now with some education and you will understand that this might not look as you think it should, but really starting prayer groups and really encouraging people to pray for those like Janelle who are in the midst of it, right? She is making choices that many of us will never have to make for a child. Very painful and hard and sometimes just overwhelming choices for this little person's future. And we have to stand in the gap. If you can't bring a child home at least you can pray for that family, pray for that child and pray for our children that are vulnerable right now in the foster care system that are being trafficked. But I think the hope is also that you hear our stories. And even if you still say, you know, not me, at least if you that situation starts, you'll be like, ding, 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 ding. Okay. This sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. Let me let me find that episode or ooh, let me find help because mm-hmm. I've been warned about this. Um, you won't go in and think that, oh, it's gonna get better. And maybe 
your maybe your situation is different because the stories that you've heard have impacted you in a way that you know to reach out and get help quicker and that there's resources now that you can go to that some of us have had to start Mm -hmm. because they weren't there before. Absolutely. So Janelle, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Tell everybody where you can get your book Shattered. So Shattered is available on Amazon. It's Shattered by Janelle M. Jones. Um, Also on my website, Janelle jones.com. You can find out more about me, about where I'm going to be at. There's links to my social media. So I'm on TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram and LinkedIn. So feel free to like, share, and follow. We will all be praying for you and for mercy. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our website, adoptionnowpodcast.com and follow us on social media. Thanks for joining us on your adoption show. See you next episode.